do meet us in intercession time. Thank you that whatever our needs are, you are more than sufficient. Whatever our sins are, your grace is more than sufficient. And so in confidence in you and in the gospel, lift up to you all of the praises and petitions that have been silently or out loud spoken in these last few minutes. And know that you are not only a hearing God, but you're all wise. You never make any mistakes, even when we ask for the wrong things. You know what's best for us. And you know how to take our petitions and turn them to ways in which you know we will flourish and you will gain glory for yourself and your cause in the world will be advanced. I pray in particular for members of our church family who may be grieving right now, maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe a, a sobering medical condition, maybe children or grandchildren wandering away from the faith that we hold dear. Please meet us in our hours of need and give us joy in yourself even while we weep. And may we experience what we have sung, that when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. The lyrics come easily when we're singing with our brothers and sisters in corporate worship, but the experience is not always easy, and yet we trust from your promises in Scripture that those are not just wishful thinking, but uh, the kind of experience that your children uh, can have despite the griefs and the ups and downs of life. We're privileged to pray, though, not only for our own needs, but for um, your work in this world. We pray for our city, our city council, other public servants, including first responders, and ask that your hand would be on them, that they would serve uh, our community with justice and integrity and energy and pleasure, joy. We pray for our country. Um, Lord, we who know what ideal government might look like from your word, uh, grieve over uh, a trend that is um, unhealthy. Uh, and uh, we just pray for revival in our nation. We know that our needs as a nation are not ultimately political or economic, but spiritual. And so we long to see, unless the return of the king is to come first, uh, a revival and renewal in our land. And we're privileged to pray not only for ourselves and for our community, but for your kingdom and your work around the world. And so we want to pray this morning for Camp Zion, asking that you would clear away the hurdles that remain for completion of the gathering place. We pray for safe travel for our high school campers as they are even now en route, and a good week in which you touch hearts and make a difference. Um, in lives, as you so often do up at camp. I want to pray for John and Sue Wazardi. Thank you for leading them in recent months to a change in ministry. We join them in praying for a good pastor for Coronado Bible Church and a good transition for them to ministry 
uh, to pastors and pastors' wives uh, up in Wisconsin. We look forward to seeing them a little more often um, and trust that you're going to use them in this new opportunity that uh, you've opened up for them. Our bulletin has all kinds of announcements of other opportunities and ministries. We lay it all before you. I'm glad, as I've often said, that uh, this is a busy place, but we don't want to be busy just for the sake of busyness. We lay our ministries and our plans before you and, and say it's your church. And you can redirect us or you can bring to fruition the things that we think we have been uh, planning in accord with your will. It's all for you and for the extension of your reign and your gospel to the ends of the earth. These things we ask in the strong name of Jesus and let all his people say, Amen. Amen. Well, welcome. It's opportunities time. We talk a little bit about church family, opportunities we have for fellowship, service, and uh, ministry here at CCC. And we begin with the ushers passing the guest books. I'll talk a little bit about some of the opportunities you'll read about in the bulletin or on the church website. But uh, while doing that, our ushers will pass guest registers. Our regular attenders know what to do with this. They just give us a record of their having been here. We hope that our guests, you who may be visiting us today, will give us a little contact information so we have opportunity to get better acquainted. Um, sometimes we have special guests. Uh, you'll forgive me uh, for my prejudice, won't you, if I say I want to welcome my favorite missionaries, Stephen and Jessica Langley, um, who are here. Um, they'll be with us uh, through convocation, but we have to share them with uh, other supporting friends and churches around the country. In fact, in the last few weeks, they've already put a few thousand miles, several thousand miles on their vehicle as they reconnect with those who are partnering with them in ministry in Africa. Um, there is no slowdown to the CCC calendar. I discovered pretty early on, 26 plus years ago, summer you might think slows down, but we have camp and vacation Bible school and concerts and, and all kinds of things going, so we don't take time to highlight everything from the pulpit. We trust you to look at the bulletin and note those things that uh, your family could benefit from. But a couple of things that I will um, highlight because they're looming. This Friday, piano concert, classical Christian um, piano concert. Look at the details there in the bulletin. We've enjoyed these guest artists before. Um, so um, just check out the, the time and location there. And then also, uh, it's been several years since we have done a new church directory. Um, some people in the old directory are now with the Lord. Um, there are many new faces, and let's admit it, some of us don't look like we did 10 years ago. So we're ready for a new church directory. Uh, there again, you find the details in the bulletin about when you can get your family picture taken, but today uh, kicks off this project in the lobby as you leave, there will be sign-up sheets for you to choose a slot when you and your family can come and, um, and be part of our new church directory. 
Uh, I don't remember whether it got in the bulletin, I think so, but Sherry Jessel officially retires as our business manager this week. She'll still be around, has agreed to, uh, on a consultant basis, uh, help us with some of the tasks that she's been doing for the last 20 years, and to train um, our, her replacement. Uh, but I mention this so that you can be aware that this is a need. We're searching for her replacement. If you are, might be interested or know somebody who might be qualified, uh, would you let me know? And then I think uh, that's going to be it for announcements. Um, God bless you as you continue worship by the giving of your gifts to him. Let's hear from God's word. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. 
Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 42. Hymn 518 may very well have been inspired by Psalm 42. 518 in your hymnal will stand to sing.
As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Well, the anonymous poet of Psalm 42 is thirsty. But is it good thirsty or bad thirsty? Normal, healthy, thirsty, or painfully parched thirsty? Thirsty can be good, right? I mean, we say, ah, after a tall iced tea on a summer afternoon, and if someone were to ask, well, was it the liquid or the thirst that made the experience so pleasant, we'd say yes. <laughs> of course, without the quenching, the experience would not be pleasant. But on the other hand, without being thirsty, the uh, quenching would not be satisfying. One of my boys spent the night at a friend's house years ago, and he told me later that uh, on this overnighter, the two of them, between them, had downed a two-liter bottle of soda. Now imagine if the boy's mom had come into the room a minute later and said, soda, guys, or an iced tea or anything? Uh, no thanks. <laughs> We're not thirsty. You have to be thirsty to appreciate the quenching, the satisfying of the thirst. Um, thirsty is good. And so is spiritual thirst. As the deer pants for the water, we sing, so my soul longeth after thee. That's a good thing. A good thing. The longing for worship is worship. Missionary David Brainerd wrote in his diary, of late God has been pleased to keep my soul thirsty almost continually, so that I have been filled with a kind of pleasing pain. When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires of Him the more insatiable and my thirstings after holiness more unquenchable. Just before the guest preacher got up to bring the message of the week, a soloist sang, Lord, I want to know you more. And um, the pastor sitting next to the guest preacher noticed that uh, the guest had his eyes closed during the solo and was moaning and groaning and quietly amening to this lyric. And when the solo was over, the guest sat there still so long with his eyes closed, the pastor wondered if he was supposed to nudge him and remind him that he was supposed to get up and, and, and preach. But he opened his eyes, this seminary professor, and uh, walked to the pulpit and looked down for like a full minute before opening his mouth. And when he did open his mouth, he didn't begin with his prepared message. He said, Lord, I do want to know you more. And he talked for a few minutes about his thirst for God, his longing to know Christ more intimately, to obey him more completely. This man who had walked with Christ for five decades and more 
was still captivated by the sweetness of the quest. Fact is, if we don't thirst for God, we might pray with A.W. Tozer, I am ashamed of my lack of desire, O God. I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Thirsty is good. But thirsty can be terrible. We're told that terminal dehydration is an extremely painful way to die. Now, I've never been close to dying of thirst, but there have been a couple of times when hiking in Colorado's backcountry, I had neglected to take enough liquid. And let me tell you that the last few hours in that arid climate without water are pretty unpleasant. So I can identify a little bit with Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway when he's desperately trying to break open a coconut to get at its liquid contents and when he's crawling through the jungle looking for curled leaves that might hold a few drops of rain that he can lick. Thirsty can be very unpleasant, very painful, and so can spiritual thirst that goes unquenched. And this is the poet's experience in Psalm 42. Again, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you. Pants. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? His thirst is not that healthy, happy spiritual thirst, but a prolonged, sorrowful state of spiritual dryness. He speaks of my tears, verse 3. My soul is downcast, verse 6. Why must I go about mourning, verse 9. My bones suffer mortal agony, verse 10. Next week, Lord willing, when we come to this psalm again, I want to explore the poet's state of mind and soul using a, a spatial metaphor, when God seems far away. But today, the metaphor is one of physical discomfort, physical suffering, intense thirst. The kind of thirst that David writes about in Psalm 143. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit faints with longing. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Have you ever experienced this kind of thirsty? I'm not talking about remorse for sin, the painful aftermath of disobeying God and, and forfeiting fellowship with Him. Our poet does not confess to any sin in this psalm. He apparently is not being chastened for any wrongdoing, and yet God seems to have forgotten him, verse 9. Rejected him, verse 4 of the following psalm, which is a twin of this one. 
All your waves and breakers have swept over me, he says to God. He is describing prolonged spiritual agony that apparently is not his fault. He's dry. He remembers joy and gladness, verse 4, but that's in the past. <laughs> Hymn writer William Cooper wrote, Where is that blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? I remember better days. I remember happiness in God and in worship, but that's, that's in the past. And I ask again, I, I wonder if you've experienced this dryness of soul. You, you would like to sing, I long to worship you, but the truth is you don't have much taste for worship right now. You'd like to see and savor the glory of God, but your mind is a fog and everything seems bleak. And maybe you have even wondered, what's wrong with me? You've done some soul searching to see if uh, sin might play a part, but your, your conscience is clear. And yet, you almost don't care that your conscience is clear. You, you don't care about reading the Bible. You don't care about praying. The things of God seem unreal. There's just no zip, no flavor. You're dry. You know, several years ago, and I'm kind of surprised that it took them this long to figure it out, somebody solved the mystery of unpopped popcorn. You know those um, kernels that never do pop. In our family, we called them duds. I've heard that some people call them old maids. Well, they, they discovered that what makes the difference is that those duds are too dry. They don't have enough liquid in them to expand the kernel when the heat is applied. Maybe you feel like one of those duds. Dry, desiccated. And Christian life has no pop. Well, if so, you're in good company. Hymn writer Cooper battled depression his entire life. And so did Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, one of the best pulpiteers ever. This pulpit giant whose ministry bolstered the faith of thousands had to have his own faith restored by periodic long leaves of absence. David, we have seen in Psalm 143 and other places, knew of spiritual dryness. So did Elijah. You remember his story in 1 Kings 18? He is at the pinnacle of his prophetic career. The fire has fallen from heaven. Idolatry is defeated. Revival breaks out. And in the next chapter, 1 Kings 19, Elijah's out in the desert, the climate mirroring his soul, and he prays, God, just take my miserable life. Physical factors may have played a role in Elijah's sense of spiritual dryness. He was exhausted. He was hungry, and so is gracious God before addressing Elijah's spiritual issues. Let his servant sleep. 
gave him something to eat. Spurgeon suffered from gout, which probably contributed to his melancholy. And, and, and if you are sensing spiritual thirstiness that goes too long, you know, it, it might be worth probing some medical matters. Are you getting enough fresh air and exercise? How's your diet? Do you need to catch up on your sleep? But my purpose is not today to explore all the possible contributing factors of spiritual depression, but to suggest something that just might surprise you. Not only is this experience quite common, it is often used by God for our good. Even bad thirsty can be used for good. Sometimes God withholds from us the satisfaction of our thirst, withdraws from us a sense of his presence, seems absent longer than feels right for our good. Maybe he wants to teach us the difference between thirst and other appetites. Uh, you, you may have learned that sometimes we think we're hungry when actually we're thirsty. The body sends a message to the brain that something is lacking and we think we need a snack when actually a glass of water would satisfy. And we, we sang this morning, all my life long I had panted for a drop from some cool spring. And the second stanza of that hymn says, feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. We know that we need something, but we're trying the wrong things. I, I'm reminded of an Old Testament scholar whose experience proves that even good things can be husks if we are looking to them to satisfy instead of to God to satisfy. It hit him one day with a jolt that he had allowed the Old Testament to become an idol. He had devoted his life to the scholarly study of the Old Testament instead of God. He loved the Bible for itself, not for its author. And so we can feed on husks. We can think that we need something and we feel thirsty and God lets that period of thirst go for a while until we learn that what we're really thirsty for is not all these other things, but for him. And that's good. It's good. Or he may let us go thirsty for a while so that we don't take him for granted. One year, I know, probably other times, our youth mission group that went to Guyana learned that here in the United States, we take for granted being able to go to the tap and get a cold drink of clean water. <laughs> they were there for a week and learned that you cannot just go up to a fountain and safely sip it or fill your glass at the faucet. 
well, surrounded as we are by Christian publishing and Christian radio and Christian blogs and Christian vlogs and podcasts and a choice of churches, you know, we could be in danger of taking God for granted. Um, we can have him on demand. Follow these five steps and satisfy your thirst. Read the Bible in a year or join this particular kind of Bible study or this group or subscribe to this magazine. It's as easy as turning on a faucet. But what we're talking about here is a relationship with a person, a sovereign person who is not at our command, doesn't want to be taken for granted, and if he meets us and meets our needs, it's not because we're water experts. We are more like becalmed sailors in the doldrums when hope almost gone, a squall drenches us with life-restoring rain. And so maybe sometimes God graciously lets us go thirsty for a while, lest we take him for granted. Or maybe God lets us go thirsty because he wants us to be desperate for him. As the deer pants. Pants for water. A deep, desperate thirst may be a good thing. Pastor Fred Craddock went to visit a parishioner in the hospital, and while there, he noticed a woman, somebody he did not know, out in the hall with her head up against a door and her fists up here next to her head, banging on the door, let me in, let me in, let me in. And he went over to see if he could help her. He said, here, let me, let me help. And he tried the door. He couldn't imagine that somebody had locked her out of her own room. It turns out that the room she was trying to get into was the chapel. Let me help you. And the knob wouldn't turn. It was locked. So he saw an employee and said, the chapel is locked. And she said, yeah, we had to do that because a while back some teenagers got in there and they wrecked the place. We had to replace all the furniture, repaint the walls. We can't afford to keep doing that, so we keep it locked. He said, find somebody with a key. So she came back a couple of minutes later. Somebody unlocked the door, and he went in with this distraught woman. He could tell that she had come to the hospital, not prepared to come to the hospital, um, she had no makeup, her hair was undone, she was dressed kind of sloppily, she didn't have shoes on, just bedroom slippers. And, and in her distress, he, he couldn't tell sometimes whether she was crying or praying or moaning, but he did make out the words, I know he's going to die, I know he's going to die, I know he's going to die. Who's going to die? My husband, I know he's going to die. Can I get you a drink of water? No, no, no. What happened? She said he had a heart attack. Well, he said, can I pray with you? Yes, please. So Craddock started to pray. But after a couple minutes, actually a few seconds, she interrupted him. Actually, she didn't interrupt him. She took over. Maybe she sensed that his prayer was too flat, too composed. So she started praying 
loudly. God, it's not time to take my husband. It's not time to take my husband. You know that better than I do. He doesn't pray. He doesn't go to church. He's not ready to die. And what about me? If you take him now, what am I going to do? I, I don't have any job skills. I, I dropped out of school to marry him. If I'd known you were going to take him now, I would have stayed in school. What about the kids? They don't mind me now. If you take my husband, they're going to be totally wild. It is not time to take my husband. Well, Fre Fred Craddock stayed with her as long as he thought it might be helpful. He went home. Next day, he came back to the hospital. And he saw her again. This time, she was all put together. Before he even had a chance to ask, she said, he's better. Sorry about that crazy woman yesterday. He said, well, you weren't crazy. She said, well, I guess the Lord heard one of us. The pastor said he heard you. She had God by the lapels with both hands and wasn't going to let go until she had some kind of assurance that he was listening. That's desperation. Now, true, the woman in that story wanted something from God, not God himself, at least not that day. But the point is still valid that God may want us to feel our need of him desperately. To quote Tozer again, come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire for God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. So maybe... If you're dry, and you've been dry for a long time, God wants to teach you the difference between thirst for him and other appetites. Or maybe he just he doesn't want you to take him for granted, and, and in fact, maybe he wants you to be desperate for him. In 1986, two brothers living in a kibbutz near the Sea of Galilee made an incredible discovery. These two Israeli fishermen noticed something they had not seen before, something covered with mud glistening in the sun. And on examination, archaeologists determined that what the brothers had found was a fishing boat from the time of Jesus. The only reason the artifact was discovered was because of a three-year drought. Feeling dry? Maybe God wants to show you something valuable. Feeling thirsty? Good, good. Thirsty is good. Well, pray with me. Our Father, any of us who have been your children, Christ followers for any length of time have probably experienced something like the poet expresses here. And it's not pleasant. 
And of course, sometimes it's our own fault. It's not that you have moved, but you seem far away because we've moved. Our sin is creating some separation between you and us, but not always, not always, not for this poet and not always for us. And yet we confess because we see it in Scripture and we see it in the testimonies of your great saints down through the centuries, you are so uh, amazing and so good and so wise that you know what to do with us and you know when we need such times for our own good and your glory. Help us, please, from these minutes spent reflecting on Psalm 42 to really believe that and to hang in there even if we're dry at the moment and to say with gutsy determination like the poet did, I will yet praise you. Someday, I will praise you, my Savior and my God.